says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, to from you and, and through you and to you are all things. All things find their end in you. Lord, sometimes that kind of is kind of intangible, seems so distant from us. So we pray, Lord, this morning that you would make um, yourself known to us, you would reveal your glory to us in our, in our, in our place uh, on earth this morning. Um, from wherever we've come from this morning, Lord, please meet us where we're at and show us yourself. We pray, Lord, that, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be, would be glorifying to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, I've got a question for you. What grand plans have you had that fizzle out and die? Uh, I'm the master of grand plans. Just ask Laura. Every so often I'll come along with this great new scheme of something that we're going to do that's going to be amazing and and is going to just solve all of our problems in life. And before you know it, kind of what starts out initially enthusiastic becomes begrudging and then before you know it, the whole idea is dead in the water. And, and in one case, it was literally dead in the water. Um, I... I tried to start an aquaponics system where I would breed fish in a tank and grow veggies on a garden bed on top. And I had I had great plans. We were going to start small with one and then we were going to have two and we we're going to multiply them. We we're going to have fish coming out our ears, fresh fish for dinner, veggies straight out of the garden bed. It's going to be amazing. And so I did my research and I pulled together materials. I started building. I got it all together, got a batch of fish. But after the initial enthusiasm, you know, the drive started to fade. There was upkeep, they were feeding the fish, just testing the water, adding supplements, figuring out the problems that arose. And the growth was so slow. And as the weeks went on, my grand plan became a burden and fish began to die. Plants were stunted and anemic. Have you had any grand plans like that come to a fizzling end? Maybe you tried to do a bit of a DIY project like me. Or perhaps you tried something smaller, a grand plan to clean the house or wash the car. Um, or perhaps you've had hopes and dreams in life that have kind of come to nothing. Stuff that you hoped you would have done by now. You know, saved that money for that house deposit or paid off that credit card early. Or maybe you had plans for your well-being to, to get in shape or... Or to lose that nasty habit. Perhaps your plans that fizzled out were plans to be consistent in disciplining the kids. Or plans to be a better friend or a faithful spouse. I know we all have plans to grow spiritually that have fizzled out. We were planning to pray, we were planning to fast, we were planning to be good at coming to the scriptures. To kill the sin in our life. We don't need to look far to see how much we just fall flat with our, with our plans and hopes and dreams. We suck at it. We're about as good as following through as the Fords are at Bathurst. 
So every so often there's a win and there's a glimpse of the light at the end of the tunnel, but then we fail again. But there's good news for us this morning. There is, there is hope. There's something for us that will trump our self-improvement projects, that will trump our moral betterment plans that fall flat. There's something that will override our useless schemes to achieve the perfect life. And that plan is, comes through when we ask the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the goal of life? What's our purpose in life? What is the answer to life, the universe, and everything? Well, the Reformed Scots of old came up with an answer to that question. They asked the question, what is the chief end of man? And they came up with the answer that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or to put it another way, the goal of our life is to glorify God and enjoy, find our joy in him forever. Now that, that question and answer comes off the back of the Reformation 500 years ago when the people in the Western church sought to get back to a biblical understanding of Christianity. For the reformers, they went back to the Bible to uncover the gospel that had been hidden, been overshadowed, sidelined. We saw that last week with the Sola Scriptura, we saw that, that, um, that the Bible has to be our basis for Christian faith. We started our five soul, soul air series last week and we saw that, that these five soul air are meant to encapsulate the gospel. And we have to start with scripture to see the rest of the gospel kind of come forth with clarity. And we're moving on to another solar this week. It's traditionally kind of thought of as the other end of the solars, as, as the fifth solar. But it's the kind of the capstone. It's the end. It's the, it's the icing on the cake of the solars. It's the purpose of everything. Everything is supposed to bring glory to God alone. Soli Deo Gloria in the Latin, glory to God alone. Because God's glory alone is the answer for our, of our purpose in life, our purpose as Christians, the purpose of creation, the purpose of Christ's salvation for us. You see, God's grand plan was to bring about glory for himself. And his plan doesn't fail, unlike our measly plans, unlike our plans that are short-lived and stunted. God's plan is being brought to fruition and nothing can stand in its way. Everything is coming together to bring glory to God. And it's illustrated in the world, it's illustrated in scripture. And so for the reformers and, and for us today, we want to see that God alone receives glory. And so I want us to look at three main areas where we will see God's glory coming forth. We're going to see that God gets the glory from creation we're going to see that, that God gets the glory in Christ and God gets glory in our Christian life. And our investigation should make it clear that God alone deserves and receives our glory and that our existence is part of God's plan to receive that glory. So, God's glory in creation. And when we start to ponder the idea that the purpose of life, the universe and everything brings glory to God, it's not... It's not unusual to ask the question, if, if everything is from God and about God, isn't God kind of egotistic? You know, we, nobody likes somebody who's vain and boastful or opinionated. So the idea that God is like that 
it might be a little bit disturbing to us. But I want you to kind of think about it. There's a couple of ways to think about it. We can't kind of cover all the bases here today. We've only got a short time to talk about something that's so amazing and massive. But one way to think about how God is jealous for his glory is to think of like an artist in creation. An artist sets out to create something beautiful. They try to create something that reflects themselves. The artist creates something that tells a story. It conveys emotion. And it flows out of themselves. When we look at a piece of artwork, we can interrogate it to a certain extent to see something about the artist reflected in it. See it as a reflection of the artist and meaning conveyed there. And when it, God, when it comes to God, the greatest artist, he who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, he made absolutely everything and we can marvel at creation and see something of God through creation. He made absolutely everything. And we see he made the wonder of the flower. We can see his glory in the complexity of DNA, the vastness of the cosmos, and even the beauty of a sunset. The Bible tells us that, that, that creation reveals God's glory, and everybody can see it. We, if you, Psalm 119 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night reveals knowledge. God is the artist who is partially understood by understand by, by having a look at his creative work. If you if you stare at enough Van Gogh, you will eventually start to figure out the patterns of what he is like and how he expresses himself in art. You'll see the characteristics of Van Gogh's style coming through. And the same goes for God. When you look at the handiwork of God, you see God shining through. If you live in this world long enough you'll see the characteristics of God shining through, namely his eternal power and his divine nature shining through. The world reflects God's glory, even though it's broken and corrupted by sin, even though the world is is messed up, even though it's kind of off kilter, God's attributes are still illustrated. We can look out the window and we can see something of God's glory and everybody can understand it. We can look into the face of a newborn baby and see something of God's glory. You can hear the swelling sound of harmonies, raised voices, singing. And you can figure out something of the glory of God. This earthly dimension that we live in expresses God's glory. Everybody can understand it. And because everybody can perceive it, no one can say, oh, I didn't know God existed. No one can say, God hasn't shown himself to me. God hasn't, God hasn't spoken to me. He's shouting to us through creation. It is plain as day. And I mean that literally. It is literally plain as day. God's glory revealed in creation. Yet even, this, even though it's so obvious, we take our built-in worship drive and we direct it towards created things. We were created by God to be glory reflectors of him, and we've been messed up by sin, and we, and we start worshipping created things instead of the creator. In the days of ancient Israel, they exchanged God's glory for the lie of false gods and idols. They should have been giving glory to God alone. And that's a problem for us today. Uh, 
you know, we, we don't, most of us don't have little carved wooden images in the corner of our house that we bow down to. But we still mess up the glory reflecting aspect of our lives. We're supposed to be created in the image of God, reflecting God's image back to him, but we don't. We worship other stuff instead. And sometimes it's external stuff. We worship things that are outside of us, like um, stuff that we desire, like um, houses or gadgets or, or brands. But really, the main problem comes back to an internal worship problem, where we worship at the altar of ourself. We seek our own glory and our own pleasure. We seek our own success. We seek our own identity. We seek our own comfort. And I mean, it works out differently in all of us. Some of us are ready to seek our own glory at the click of a button on the internet. For some of us, we, we seek our own glory by slaving away for the perfect lifestyle. Some of us seek our own glory in, in seeking recognition for our great achievements. But whatever it is, I want you to be aware of it. I want you to be aware that you, because of the twistedness of sin in our lives, we kind of default to, to, to worship things other than God. I want you to be aware of it so that you can identify it because identifying it is part, is the first part of the problem. It's the first part of solving the problem. We've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Even though God's glory is revealed in creation, we've ignored it, we've twisted it, and we've misappropriated it for our sinful purposes. But God's glory is still there, revealed in creation, and it gives glory to God alone. But even though we twist the glory of God revealed in creation, there's another place where we see God's glory more kind of, more fully shining through. We see God's glory fully revealed in Christ, and there we can see glory goes to God alone. Jesus is, is, is revelation of God's glory to man. Now, we can't see God's glory, uh, in, in its fullness. Um, we have countless examples in the Old Testament of people who, who couldn't even deal with, uh, some of the manifestations, the smaller manifestations of God's glory. Um, we told throughout scripture that nobody can see God's face and live. You know, we can't comprehend it. But Christ comes into the world as God's glory clothed in human flesh so that we can behold his glory. The writer of Hebrews says this about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In Christ, we find the glory of God revealed as the one who would rescue us. God in ages past planned to bring about the redemption of his people with love and mercy. Jesus willingly submitted to the Father to bring that plan to fruition. The purpose of the universe is to bring glory to God and God worked throughout history and is still working to bring that together. God didn't, God didn't create the world because he was lonely. God didn't create the world because he was bored. He created the world so he could reveal his divine attributes of mercy and justice to his own glory. And we see that find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. 
Through Jesus, we find our redemption. He plucked us out of death to the glory of the Father. And even though all have sinned, even though all of us have our glory reflecting messed up, God reached into our mess. He reached into my mess. He reaches into your mess to pull you out, to lift us up to the glorious light of Christ and his salvation for us. It's worth mentioning here that God finds glory in bringing about our whole salvation. God doesn't do like 99% of our salvation and then rely on us for the other 1%. God brings about our whole salvation for us. Because if there's anything that you or I could contribute in any way to our salvation, there would be something, there would be some aspect for which we could not give God glory. You see, if I could contribute anything to my salvation, either by earning it or choosing it, I would be taking away from God's glorious act. It wouldn't be glory to God alone. It would be glory to God mostly, but I get a little bit of credit as well. Now, for many people, you know, we are quick to deny that we can earn our salvation by working for it. But sometimes we tend to think this, that like we, we still want to argue that we have to choose God out of some kind of act of our own. Some people, when they talk about it, they like to call it free will. But, but here's the problem. If there's something in my salvation that relies on my contribution, then God can't receive all the glory. Instead, instead of me contributing, we know from the scriptures that God chose his people, he set his love and mercy on them, and he sought them out. And when God seeks out something, he can't be thwarted by whether or not we make our decision for him. God's plan can't be thwarted. So when he saves someone, he doesn't need to depend on decisions of the individual to bring about his purposes. And this is great news because you and I are so thoroughly messed up that if any part of our our, our salvation relied on us, we would find a way to mess that up too. God regenerates our darkened hearts and reveals Jesus to us. And, and Paul kind of reflects on that a bit when he says in 2 Corinthians... For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And and J.I. Packer says that from first to last and at every stage in the process, salvation comes from the Lord. And our praise must show our awareness of that. And this is why Reformation theology was so insistent on the principle, glory to God alone. Because God is the one who fully rescues us, he gets all the glory. He receives all honor and praise because he accomplishes a great salvation for us. In demonstrating his mercy, God receives the glory, not man. Question might arise, well, if the whole, the purpose of the whole world is to bring glory to God, God gets his glory from saving believers, how does God get glory out of unbelievers. It's a tough one for us to talk about because it can be near and dear to our hearts with friends and family members and people that we know who are running headlong away from God. But they receive, they reflect God's glory because they reflect God's justice. Just, justice is good. Justice is something that we want in this world. We want justice for crazy dictators. We want, we want 
justice for, um, for, for evil gunmen who fire on unsuspecting crowds. But it's easy to forget that each and every one of us, inside and outside the church, are corrupted to our core. Sure, we're not as bad as we can be. We're not running around with guns and murdering people, but sin has so penetrated and broken our lives that we are, we are messed up to the very center of us. If not for the grace of God, all of us face the justice of God. For the Christian, Jesus has dealt with the justice of God for us and we become recipients of his, of his mercy. But if you're not under Christ, then you glorify God by receiving his justice. It can be hard to think about these kinds of things, but, but Paul reminds us that when we get to stuff like this, which is hard to swallow, it's hard to understand God's plan, but we trust that he is above us and beyond us, and it's not our job to tell him how to run things. And that comes to that passage that we read where Paul, after kind of delivering some, some hard news in his letter on the Romans, he turns and he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. God's beyond us. We can't understand him. We can't understand him fully. We don't understand the depths of his ways. And he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who's been his counselor? Who's given God advice? It's not up to us to give God advice. Who's been given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who, 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 who does God owe? He doesn't owe anybody anything. And Paul ends, for, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Even though Jesus reveals God to us, we still can't fully understand God's plan. We're created mortals and it's just way beyond our pay grade. We can only respond in wonder and trust. Through the work of Christ, God alone receives glory as the one who effectually saves believers and condemns unbelievers. Glory to God alone. But We also see God's glory coming through in the Christian life. For the believer, the one who's been saved from death by the free gift of God. Sorry, for the believer, the one who has been saved from death by the free gift of God into Christ's glory. What's next? What's next once we've been saved? Once we've reflected God's glory in his redemptive work in our lives, in salvation, then we reflect God's glory in the redemptive work of our lives in doing stuff that reflects God's glory. We turn to do the things that we could not once do. We turn to give glory back to God. But then the question comes up, God is fully kind of content and self-contained and self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything else. There's nothing that we can give to him that contributes to who he is. I was thinking, like, what do you get somebody who has everything? You know that feeling when you, you go into a party and there's somebody who's already got everything they need. You're wandering around the shop, you're like, what, what am I going to get them as a gift? Do you get somebody who has everything? It's, but buying a gift for somebody who already has everything isn't about giving them something that will contribute to their life or make them love 
you as a friend or family member anymore. Buying them a gift is a way of showing our our love, our honour, our appreciation. We give gifts, you know, sometimes we give gifts because it's a social norm or because we want to fit in, but the best case scenario is that we give gifts as an external expression of our internal disposition. If we love someone, we want to illustrate to them how we feel by doing something tangible and visible. And that's how it is with our glory reflecting to God. It's not as though giving him glory will will in some way improve him or make him better, but it's about us reflecting who God is already and what he has done. Showing our, our love and our appreciation, but being a conduit of God's glory. We have a God who came and met us in our in our lowliness, in our rock bottom, in our mess of our life. And God chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world, knowing the stupid and rebellious stuff we would do even this very week. He love, in love, saved us from death and brought us to life. God gave us everything, not just life and breath, but salvation in Christ. And God showers us with blessings and grace and mercy on a daily basis. What on earth could we do for him in return? What could we give him in repayment? It's not like God needs our praise. He doesn't need our honor. He doesn't need our measly attempts at holiness or good works. He owns everything and everyone. Yet he he demands of us glory, not as repayment, but as reflection. We reflect God's glory into the world as recipients of grace, conduits of mercy. We as redeemed people respond with worship and service to God. Not to add to God's worth or to add to our own worth in God's eyes, but to reflect back to him the love that we have received. And Paul says that everything that we should do should be for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And there are two areas I just want to briefly touch on when we think about doing all to the glory of God. Where we reflect God's glory. We reflect firstly his glory in our worship. And this is demonstrated all over the Bible as well. It gives us a clear picture of what worship's supposed to look like. And the Psalms especially show us what worship looks like, giving glory to God. But you will notice that the way that the Psalms give glory to God is not by some vague poetry. The Psalms do two things chiefly. They reflect what God has done. Well, it's maybe three things. What God has done, what God is doing, and who God is. Does that make sense? What God has done, what God is doing, and who he is. If you look at the, at the, at the Psalms, you'll see them talk about the attributes and the characteristics of God. You'll see them reflect back on the way that God has saved them in the past. And you'll see them, and they're, even in their crying out for God at that moment, they have the certainty and assurance that God saves them even now, even ongoingly. In our worship, if our songs could be confused with uh, a song to our boyfriend or girlfriend, then perhaps our worship is not quite right. Our worship songs and prayers and meditations should be characterized by content about God. They should be characterized by a deepness found in comprehending God's identity and his divine activity. Our worship should reflect God, not ourselves. There's another area where bringing glory to God in our Christian life comes forth. 
That's in our work. I don't just mean work as in like uh, what we go to, to do to earn money, but that's included. But just the way that we live and, and work and serve in the world. It flows, we glorify God in our work because it flows out from us as both a reflection of glory towards God, but as the revealing of God to our neighbor. Because of the way that we work and, and the way that we serve in the world, people can see God's glory coming forth and then can in turn reflect God's glory back to him because of the way that God is working in, in our lives. Peter says, uh, talks about this. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Johann Sebastian Bach, the great composer, took this to heart. When he would write his music, he famously would always sign every piece of music he wrote with SDG. Soli Deo Gloria. Now that would be whether he was writing a secular piece of music or whether he was writing a spiritual piece of music for the church. He wanted glory to go to God from whatever he was doing. And we too, whether we're serving other believers specifically or whether we're out in the world in our jobs or in community, we serve by God's strength so that he may be glorified. God's glory is the way that your life should should be shaped. Famously, one of the great benefits of the Reformation as they discovered the gospel again and they discovered this idea of working for God's glory alone, there was a huge... There became this thing that they called the Protestant work ethic. Those people who got the gospel were so changed that that there was something about them as workers in the world that was noticed and and still noticed in in, in the histories as one of the benefits of the, the Reformation. What came out of the Reformation is all these people, changed by the gospel, now go out into the world with like a new fervor to do their jobs well, to be good um, employees, to be um, active workers in the name of God. They They went forth... And their lives were changed with greater, and they had greater productivity and more pride in their work as people who served God. God's salvation changes people, and when we, when we serve in the world to sanctify people, we bring more glory to God. So we've seen that God gets the glory from our Christian life as well. It's not about, our Christian life isn't about earning our own merit, but about reflecting God's glory that we have received back to Him. So, in bringing things to a close here, we've seen that God alone deserves and receives glory. And our existence is part of that grand plan to receive glory for himself. We heard how God gets the glory from creation, as like an artist or a builder receives reflected glory in their creations. We've seen how God gets the glory in Christ, as God revealed to us and as our saviour. We've seen how God gets the glory from our Christian life as glory reflectors who, who, who go out into the world and reflect God. For us, it's vitally important to see God's glory as the end point of our lives, of our faith and our service. Back in the days of the Reformation, God's glory was being sidelined by religiosity, poor theology, impure worship. 
But like we touched on last week with scripture alone, God's, God's glory alone isn't something, isn't just something recovered in the Reformation. It's something that's marginalized even today. Where, where Christianity becomes about us. We need to be today to be constantly reformed and brought back into line with God's plans and desires. We need our church here at Eastgate, our church in Queensland, the church in Australia and around the world to be continually forming itself according to the scriptures, according to God's word. After all, we easily wander off into vain curiosities, quirky new teachings and forms of Christianity that are easy to swallow. We need the hard-hitting gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bible. We need to remember that this whole world and existence isn't fundamentally about us. We are, we are part of the plan. The plan isn't about us fundamentally. The plan is about God. We're part of His grand plan, not, not He part of our plan for a good life. So why are we here today in this very building? To bring glory to God. Why do we go to work tomorrow? To bring glory to God. Why do we serve each other? To bring glory to God. Why do we even receive God's salvation? To bring glory to God. And the apostles saw that as well. They saw that the God's glory was the goal, the end point of life and salvation. So I want to finish us with the words of Paul to direct our lives, to kind of, to direct our thinking and our thoughts this week. God's glory alone is the goal of all things and God is working in us to make that happen. Paul said, I can't remember where he said it, but he said, because I've quoted this straight out of the Bible, you have to believe me. <laughs> in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. So Paul's reflecting on the first Christians there. They were the first to hope in Christ, so that might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, second generation Christians and more, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. All things come together for the glory of God and we do well to remember that and to shape our lives by it. Let me pray. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Lord, we recognize that that you are deserving and worthy of all glory. Lord, you you want glory from us, and you and and that's right and good. Lord, as 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 our King, as our Creator, as our as our Redeemer, you are worthy of all that glory. Lord, we know that we've messed it up. That we, even as people who 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 know your goodness in Jesus Christ, we've still messed it up. But we thank you, Lord, that you have your spirit working in us to bring that glory to you, to reflect it back to you. But we know, Lord, that even though we have sinned against you, it's not fundamentally about us being 
good at bringing glory to you. You brought glory to yourself through the work of Christ in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for that ongoing work. Even though we, you receive glory from that initial justification and imputation of righteousness, we know that you also receive glory from our ongoing transformation and sanctification. Heavenly Father, we pray that this week as we go out into the world, that you would impress upon us the magnitude of your glory and that you would help us by your spirit to reflect that glory back, to see it come out in the way that we act, in the way that we work, the way that we worship. We pray, Lord, that it would be coming forth from our lives and coming forth from our lips as we proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Going to continue to sing, reflecting on the way that God has brought glory by giving his only son.